Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Certainly appreciated the uh, songs there, the um, ones that the praise team led at the beginning there. Shine, Jesus, Shine was one of my favorites from the 90s, and, and it fits so well with what I want to share from God's Word today as we think of God's work among nations. Uh, on the south wall of the youth room in our church, um, there's a, a big sign in bold letters that says, Made to Worship. And it's a declaration of the reality that we all need to understand. Human beings were created by God with, with a need to look to and to worship in some way. Um, that is to extol the worth of something or someone beyond ourselves. And, and thus we all worship something or, or someone. And the question really then is who? Or what do each of us worship? Either we worship the one who is so clearly above us all, who made the universe and everything in it and who sustains us today, or else we look to something or someone else to worship. So what happens when a nation that has a very bad leader for a number of years, a leader who, instead of worshiping God himself, shuts the doors of that place dedicated to worship him and, and encourages people to worship idols anywhere instead. We're going to take a look at that today. I invite you to look with me at, at uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 28 as we read from God's word today as we begin. We're actually going to be breezing through parts of four different chapters here, but I um, invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as we read. <clears throat> Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king of Judah. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do right in the sight of the Lord as David his father had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of, Ju of Israel. And he also made molten images for the Baals. Now we're going to skip a few verses here, so let me just pause and explain here what's in those next 20 verses. Ahaz was a very ungodly king in about every way. He, he brought about a general lack of restraint in the nation of Judah. And so the Lord allowed him to be defeated in battles with, with nations to the north, including then even their own Hebrew cousins in Israel. And one battle with Israel resulted in some very heavy casualties. There were 120,000 people of Judah that were killed. And 200,000 women and children were taken captive to become slaves back in Israel. However, as they were bringing all of them back as trophies of war, a prophet of God stopped them on the way and said this. He said, do you not have transgressions of your own against the Lord God? They listened and they let their captives go back to Judah. Well, within a matter of months later, a more powerful nation further north, Assyria, invaded that land of Israel and besieged their capital city and captured it, and thus that northern kingdom of Israel was no more. 
So now back to Ahaz here. What did he do? Instead of turning to the Lord himself, he, he decided to try to make friends with the king of the Assyrians that had captured Israel. Uh, but that backfired on him. And, and then he tried paying off the uh, king of Assyria, and that worked for a little while. And, and then we pick it up here, the next passage. It went dark on me here. I'll, I'll begin reading anyway. Um, keep on going in that chapter. Now in the time of his distress, this same king, Ahaz, became yet more unfaithful to the Lord. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, and said, Because the gods of the kings of Aram helped them, I will sacrifice to them, that they may help me. But they became the downfall of him and all of Israel. Wherever, when Ahaz gathered together the utensils of the house of God, he cut the utensils of the house of God in pieces, and he closed the doors of the house of the Lord, and made altars for himself in every corner of Jerusalem." In every city of Judah he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked the Lord, the God of his fathers, to anger. Now the rest of his acts and all of his ways from first to last, behold, they're written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And so Ahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city in Jerusalem, for they did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. Let us pause and pray. Lord, as we meditate on this passage and think through how you uh, worked there in the, in the lives of the people of the nation of Judah, uh, we pray that you would apply it to our hearts and lives in our nation as well. Amen. Please be seated. So do I, do I have... Uh, okay, there we go. Thank you. I got to back up a little bit. Good. So when I read scripture and, and uh, look at current events on the international news, I, I am reminded of the value of term limits for those in highest level of office. And uh, take Russia, for instance. There on the screen you have a reminder of that. Uh, Vladimir Putin served for two four-year terms as president of Russia, so eight years in, right after Boris Yeltsin's eight years. <clears throat> and then, since the constitution of Russia at that time limited him to two consecutive terms, he maneuvered himself to be the prime minister of Russia for four years, while Dmitry Medvedev uh, acted the role of president. And then back in 2012, um, Putin got himself elected for a third term, and at that point he had terms extended to now be six years. And now he's on his fourth term, and he has maneuvered the laws so that he can still get reelected now in, in 2024. A lot of years of an ungodly leader can be very destructive for that nation and for nations around it as well. And so as we look at the nation of, of Judah, they went through 16 years of a very bad king. And during those years they experienced serious national decline. Uh, and so take a look with me at that here. And we see this nation that turned away from God, that the people of Judah followed an ungodly leader to their own demise. Even though Ahaz's father, Jotham, had been a godly example, when Jotham died at age 41, then his 20-year-old son, Ahaz, became the king. And he did not respect God's Ten Commandments. He made metal images of Baal to worship instead. And he encouraged the people then in idol worship, later even then sacrificing his own sons in fire to these false gods. Chapter 28, verse 19, it tells us that Ahaz brought about a lack 
of restraint in Judah and was very unfaithful to the Lord. And I, and I would have to say that, that this has been true of, of some of our own presidents in the United States in recent years as well, that they brought about a lack of restraint. If they have not um, believed in and pointed to God and his moral laws, then they have probably instead encouraged the opposite. Well, because of this lack of restraint of Ahaz, God was angry with Ahaz and his people in Judah. And, and he saw fit then to humble them with some military defeats and death and destruction. And verse 22 of this passage then says that Ahaz just became even then more unfaithful to the Lord after that. And he and his nation then discarded the practice of corporate <clears throat> worship of the true God. They, they quit going to worship at that magnificent temple that Solomon had built and dedicated to the Lord. And, and King Ahaz had the temple doors shut. Government lockdown, you might say, right there. And, and he for, uh, furthermore, he took the utensils that were inside the temple and he cut them in pieces. And it kind of reminds me of what I saw a little bit of when I, 22 years ago, I had the privilege of going to Latvia, one of the Baltic states there alongside of Russia. And their churches had been closed by Stalin for years. And they'd been emptied of the furnishings and, and turned, some of them turned into granaries, for instance. Well, the result of Ahaz's bad example and a closing up the temple and discarding this practice of worship of the true God was that the people of Judah then forgot their history and how God had rescued his people from slavery in Egypt years before. You see, when believers don't have gatherings to remind each other of God and his word, it's only a matter of time until they forget it. And one of the pinnacle events of the Jewish calendar was, and still is, what's called the Passover, where they share a special meal together and they remind each other of this day way back when the angel of death had passed over their homes when they were slaves in Egypt. The angel of death had passed over their homes because they had painted lamb's blood above the doorposts of their houses. And that first Passover night then had been the beginning of freedom from slavery for God's people as Pharaoh then had that very night set them free and let them all leave Egypt. And thus the Passover then became this important annual Jewish celebration after that. And when Ahaz then closed up the temple, now years later, not only was it no longer open for weekly worship on the Sabbath day, but, but they even then quit having their yearly Passover observances. <clears throat> and, and that would be maybe a little bit like us, if we, if we would decide to no longer have services or special meals on Christmas or on Easter. Well, instead of having the Passover or worshiping God in the temple, people with a need to worship something then erected other things, people and places to worship instead. And King Ahaz had them then erected all over the place. Uh, one verse says, under every green tree. How convenient. No one had to go far to worship now. And of course, they were no longer worshiping the true God, but rather worshiping gods of their own imaginations. Well, though we don't probably erect official altars like that, it's possible for us to in some ways do the same. No longer wanting to be inconvenienced with structured worship of the true God. We, we end up then changing our priorities and doing whatever we enjoy. Other things then become more important to us. 
than worship of God. And, and this might be a touchy subject. But if sports or hunting or lake time or shopping or sleeping in or, or you name whatever activity take over and we do them to the exclusion of remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy, where we pause from our other activity and we worship the, the Lord God and we hear his word, then aren't we in a way kind of doing the same? Well, that wasn't the end of the story, though, for the nation of Judah. And that's great. Ahaz's bad 16 years of reign finally came to an end. And when King Ahaz died, his godly son came to the throne, who led them in a significant spiritual revival. And so look with me at chapter 29. <clears throat> and there it tells us this. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father, actually maybe great-great-grandfather or something like that, David, had done. And in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. <clears throat> and he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them into the square on the east. And then he said, listen to me, O, o Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry the uncleanness out from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done evil in the sight of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and have turned their backs. And they have also shut the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place of the Lord of Israel. We looked at chapter 28 and how that nation had turned away from God. Now let's look at chapter 29 when that nation turned back to the Lord. They listened then to a godly leader declaring God's word to them and, and they repented of their sins. And, and when Hezekiah became king then at just age 25, there was this great turnaround that happened in the land of Judah. And really, that's what repentance is. It's, it's turning around. It's going in the other direction. And when we know we have done wrong, that's what we all need to do. Repent. Turn around. Besides repenting himself, Hezekiah started with the designated spiritual leaders of the land, the Levites, and, and he called them to repentance as well, to, to no longer forsake God, but to recognize that the very reason that God had brought judgment on the land was a, because the people had turned away from God to worship other things instead. And, and so he had the priests and the Levites then consecrate themselves, that, that is, to set themselves apart for service to the Lord. And, and then they opened the doors of the temple again, and, and they cleaned it up and they rededicated it to be a place for worship of the true God. And along with that, then Hezekiah and the Levites restored the priority of corporate worship to the true God. <clears throat> they opened the doors of the house of the Lord, for the public, and they consecrated it, and they set it apart as a place for people to come and to worship the true God. And they started then regularly having services again there, and people started coming. Multitudes of people were coming. And I think it might have been a bit like when people started coming back to ball games or things like that after COVID concerns seemed to diminish. It was exciting. People were filled with joy. But these folks weren't just there for a ball game. It's as exciting as they can be sometimes. Um, the Levites and the musical instruments um, that they had then led the people in praise and worship of God. 
And they used the words of the Psalms of David, and, and people gave offerings to the Lord. And, and corporate worship of God was restored. And that tells us, thus the service of the house of the Lord was established again. And then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced over what God had prepared for the people because the thing had come about suddenly. And along with that, they remembered their history and God's rescue from slavery. And you see through weekly worship patterns, um, there was that focus being restored, but King Hezekiah still recognized there was something missing. And that was the yearly Passover. And, and with its strong reminder then of that sacrificial lamb that in order for their ancestors to be freed from slavery in Egypt had to, had to be slain. And it also then pointed to their own sin and their need for forgiveness and, and reminded them God offered them that. That's what the Passover symbolized to them. And, and you see, the Passover actually was also pointing ahead to something that you see in the New Testament, and that is to the person of Jesus Christ. God's son, the ultimate sacrificial lamb, that one day his blood would atone for the sins of the world, including yours and mine. And so years later, when Jesus revealed himself to be that sacrificial lamb, that was on that night that he gathered with the disciples right before he died on the cross. Well, it was in the heart of King Hezekiah to again celebrate this Passover. But, but since it was such a significant thing, he, he didn't want it to just be for the people there at Jerusalem. And so he invited others to join in celebration of the Passover. And, and it's fascinating to me who he invited. It tells us that now Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover to the Lord God. Now, do you understand who he was inviting here? It wasn't just the people there in the nation of Judah. That's what you'd see in the purple down at the, toward the bottom there. Um, but above there, what used to be the nation of Israel, made up of several different tribes, um, including then Ephraim, which is uh, in the uh, kind of the darker green, and then Manasseh right above that in the lighter green. Uh, <clears throat> and, and so recognize here, this is the same nation, the same people group that, that uh, had killed 120,000 men of Judah when his dad had been reigning and had been planning to take 200,000 women and children back as slaves before that prophet had stopped them. So now, though, the nation to the north of Israel had been greatly humbled and, and they had gotten some of their own medicines or even worse as the Assyrians had taken over that land now. But it was on Hezekiah's heart to set all of that aside and invite all those that were left up there in Israel to come back to worship the true God here in the temple in Jerusalem. Come back for the Passover and celebrate with us the forgiveness that is there for all sinners who will humble themselves and come. And isn't that what God still calls us to do today? Put aside any of our prejudices we have against some people or, or hurts we have from the past and invite one and all Come to the Lord. Share the forgiveness that we have found in Jesus Christ. Well, it's fascinating what happened as a result of Hezekiah's invitation. Uh, and they, they did away with false gods they had been worshiping and so on. We're going to see that in a little bit. But I've got to point out something else here that's important here. The, the awesome, planned, and spontaneous, both, re revival that followed there in Judah. So the invitation went out. 
And, and the invitation was to return to the Lord God of your fathers. And, and so it tells us that the couriers went out through Israel and Judah with letters from the hand of the king and his princes, even according to the command of the king, uh, saying, O sons of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return to those who have escaped <clears throat> and, uh, and are left there at of the hands of the, of the kings of the Syrians. And he, then he said this. This is part of the invitation that went out then. Do not stiffen your necks. Now isn't that an apt description of what people do when they don't want to listen to someone telling them what to do? Just stiffen your neck. You know, sometimes people should do that. If the orders are coming from someone who has no right to give them orders, um, being stiff-necked against tyranny does have its place. But, but these folks have been stiff-necked toward the God of heaven, the, the one that's in charge of the whole universe and who had every right to expect his subjects to listen. And so he, the invitation says, do not stiffen your necks, but instead yield to the Lord. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were unfaithful to the Lord God of their fathers, so that he made them a horror that you see. Do not stiffen your neck like your fathers, but yield to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God, that his burning anger may turn away from you. So that invitation also involved entering the sanctuary, and he said that if you do, you will find that the Lord is compassionate. He is gracious, and he will not turn his face away from you, he says. Well, what was the response of the people when that invitation went out? It tells us that the couriers passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, and as far as Zebulun, even farther to the north. And what did they do? They laughed to scorn, and they mocked. But then it tells us this. Nevertheless, some... Some men of Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves and they came to Jerusalem. And the hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princess commanded by the word of the Lord. And so we were reminded here that many laughed and mocked, but some humbled themselves and came. And there was a very large assembly that gathered with great joy. How large was it? Well, when you read on in there, it tells us about it, that they actually celebrated the Passover for the normal week, but they were having such joy, they, they did a whole other week of it. And the hand of God was with them. And, and it says that, that um, it took 2,000 bulls and 17,000 sheep to feed them during those two weeks. So a lot of people were there. There had not been anything like this at all since way back in the days of Solomon when that temple was first dedicated. And they went back home changed. They pulled down the altars to the false gods all over Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh until it, it tells us they destroyed them all. <clears throat> As I think about this today, for one thing I'm amazed at how God could use one person to call people to come back into fellowship with him. Hezekiah's invitation and my invitation then from God's word here to you today is that. Come back. Come back to God. He is so gracious. He will forgive all who repent. 
Come with your sin and, and find full forgiveness and power to change. And, and also come back to corporate worship. You maybe don't realize what you've been missing. I want to say just a word to those who are viewing even online today. We, we are so glad that you are able to join us today for worship and any time that you're able to do that. And so keep tuning in to us if you can't be here. But if you can, come back to worship in person. Because additional blessing is waiting for you as you come together and worship in the fellowship and company of fellow believers. I will say this, it's not paradise here. But it's the next best thing to being there. Or, or you might say it this way. It's not paradise, but you can see it from here. Yes, there are some hypocrites here who don't always listen consistent, or I should say don't always live consistent with their faith. And actually, isn't that true of every one of us who are here today? So come and join us if you're not perfect either. We come together and we rejoice in the gracious forgiveness that we have found in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we come to encourage each other to live out that faith and to live in daily repentance and faith. And to spread that message of hope to a world that is in chaos. And so whoever you are, wherever you are, you're invited today. Come back to the Lord and come back to corporate worship of him. And if that's something that's totally new to you, the invitation's open to you too. Come for the first time. Come to Jesus in prayer, right where you are. He's waiting to receive you. Let us pray. Lord God, I just thank you for your powerful word today, for the reminder of how you have worked in the lives of individuals and through them um, drawn whole people, whole nation back to you. Lord, we thank you for that. And today, Lord, there may be those who have listened to your word and have never come to you. Lord, may your word speak to their hearts and draw them to humble themselves and admit their sin and their need for forgiveness and to come just as they are in confession of sin and in trust that Jesus' death on the cross was for them and there's forgiveness for them. And Lord, for us who do know you, you know how easily we stray, how easily we get distracted by so many other things and lose our focus. And we need these times of coming together for worship to remind us of what we're here for. So we thank you for that, Lord. And we pray, Lord, for our nation. We pray that you would revive our nation even as you did so many years ago, the nation of Judah. And Lord, we pray for other nations as well. And thinking especially today of the people of Ukraine and of Russia. And Lord, we don't understand your ways and what you're doing and what you're allowing there. But as we've seen some of that, even back in biblical days, Lord, we know that you have a purpose in those things too. And it is especially to draw hearts to you. And so we pray for that for the people in those lands as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.